let the children slip out the back with uh, Miss Melissa. And um, as we enter this uh, time of Christmas, you know, one of the things that I love the most about Christmas is some of the greatest music in the world is written to be sung at Christmas time. And uh, you're going to clearly see that over the next few weeks, starting in today's sermon into next week when Adam's choir is here into the following week when all of our musicians play and sing extra Christmas music. But there's some wonderful, wonderful music uh, that, is, that is written for the Christmas season. And of course, uh, you know, the, the, the point or the focus of Christmas is Jesus Christ. Now, we focus on Jesus Christ in the manger typically at Christmas, but there is a whole lot more to the story than that, as we're going to see in the, in the weeks to come. But uh, uh, the first thing I want to do in today's sermon, today's sermon is entitled Jesus Christ, the Coming Savior. And the one, for my first things I want to do, first point today, is look at some of the prophecies pertaining to the coming Savior. In Micah 5 and verse 2, it says, Out of thee shall come forth unto me that is to be the ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old from of old, from everlasting. Um, you know, from this prophecy, we see a, a couple things. We see the ultimate ruler of Israel, number one, would come out of Bethlehem. And we see, number two, that this, this ruler that comes out of Bethlehem has existed forever. And then we can turn over to Isaiah 7 and verse 14. It says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. And from Isaiah, we learn that the Savior would be born of a virgin and that his name would be Emmanuel, which literally means God with us. And, um, and, and we see that, and uh, there's, there's a song that's entitled Emmanuel. I just want to read the words to you of this song. I would love to play every song I'm going to mention over the next few weeks, but we just don't have enough time. So I'm going to read this one to you. It says, A sign shall be given, a virgin shall conceive, a human baby bearing undiminished deity. The glory of the nations, a light for all to see, the hope for all who will embrace his warm reality. Emmanuel, our God is with us. And if God be with us, who can be against us? Our God is with us, Emmanuel. What a beautiful song and what a beautiful thought as we just enter into this, this first part of the discussion today as we begin to look at the prophecy concerning the Savior. So we see these two prophecies out of Micah and out of um, Isaiah. But now if you have your Bible, turn to the book of Matthew and Matthew chapter 1. Because I want to establish some things here that are important for us in the line of this story, particularly as it pertains to the prophecies concerning Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1, it says, The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And so right away you're saying, we're getting ready to enter into a genealogy. What does this have to do with Christmas? Well, it has a lot to do with Christmas, so just hang on for just a second. Verse 2 says this, Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Judas and his brethren. And it goes on. Then we go down to verse 5. It says, and, and Salmon begat uh, uh, Booz of Rachab, and Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David the king, and David the king begat Solomon, of her that had been the wife of uh, Urias. And then we slip over to verse 16. Verse 16 says, And Jacob begat Joseph in the husband 
uh, Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. You know, it's important for us to understand uh, genealogy is in the Bible for a reason. Now, we, we get to genealogy passages and we're like, oh, I'm just not even going to read this next two chapters because it's genealogy. But the, sometimes that genealogy is of vital, vital importance because it was prophesied that the Savior of the world will come out of the lineage of David. And so we have to understand that, that what Matthew is telling us is the fulfillment of that prophecy. Matthew lays out for us the genealogy starting all the way back at the beginning at Abraham, bringing it all the way through Ruth and Boaz and, and right on through David and right on to what? Jesus Christ. And so we begin to see that, that prophecy of being fulfilled. And, and for these prophecies to be fulfilled, it's crucial that Jesus Christ would come out of Bethlehem. And that takes us to Matthew chapter um, chapter 1, verses 18 to 23. Because after you get all this genealogy in the first you know, 15, 16 verses of chapter 1, we see this. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as Mary was a spouse to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done, notice what it says here in this verse. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Why did all this have to take place? It took place to show that the prophecy from Isaiah was not only accurate, but it was going to be fulfilled in Jesus Christ, the Savior. And so we, we see that and we, we understand that. And, and with this genealogy then that's laid out in Matthew, uh, we understand better Isaiah 9, 7, which talks about upon the throne of David, David's lineage that takes place from there. And then in Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 5, and I'm, I'm moving through this very quickly, but I want us to see how the prophecy all comes to play in the Christmas story. Jeremiah 23 and verse 5 says that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness, a king shall reign and prosper. See, folks, as we look at the Christmas story and we see Jesus Christ in the manger, we have to look at the end of the story. Because at the end of the story, Jesus Christ is what? King of kings and Lord of lords. And he will reign forever and ever, as the scripture says. And so the story is much more than the babe in the manger that we have pictured down below me here on, on our uh, communion table. There's much more to the story that's crucial. But I think it's important for us to understand the lineage and the prophecy to understand that when Jesus Christ was born of Mary in Bethlehem, all that did was fulfill a whole bunch of prophecy from the Old Testament, which tells us what? It tells us that we can take comfort in knowing that the writers of the Old Testament were given the words to write by God, and those words were fulfilled. Those weren't empty prophecies. 
When Isaiah wrote that a virgin would conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel, that wasn't just some vague prophecy that never came to fulfillment, but it was fulfilled in Jesus Christ, our Savior. And so that takes us from the prophecies pertaining to the coming Savior. And, and, and as we think about these things, that takes us into Luke chapter 2. So now slide over to Luke chapter 2. Probably the most familiar passages that we associate with the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2. If you sit down and read the Christmas story to your family, you most often read from Luke chapter 2. I know our family had a tradition every year at Christmas before we, we did the, a lot of things that normal people do, dive into the presents and dive into the food. We'd sit down and read the Christmas story. And we would read from Luke chapter 2. And we read in Luke chapter 2, um, starting in verse 1, it says this, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up out of Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife being great with child. Now, isn't it interesting, folks, that, that Joseph did not reside in Bethlehem? Now, Mary, the lady he was espoused to be married to, was carrying the Savior of the world, and yet the prophecy said the babe was going to be born in Bethlehem. But Joseph didn't live in Bethlehem. So how did Joseph get to Bethlehem? got to Bethlehem by a wicked ruler who was demanding taxes of the people. Isn't it interesting that God could use something as simple as paying taxes to fulfill prophecy? See, folks, we don't think like God thinks. If we, if we were sitting down to pen the story, never, none of us would ever come up with, well, you know, I think I'm going to have Joseph have to go over to Bethlehem to pay his tax. I think that's the way the story ought to go. None of us would come up with that. Because we don't think like God thinks. But to fulfill many prophecies of the Old Testament, Joseph had to be in Bethlehem when Jesus Christ was born. And it was done through the fact that he had to go and pay his taxes. I think it's so interesting that later in the book of Luke, in Luke 18 and verse 27, Luke says, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. You know, folks, God works in mysterious and we would say miraculous ways and he made sure that Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem as the prophets had prophesied he would be and that takes us then to point number two the arrival of the Savior the arrival of the Savior continue on in in Luke 2 now we move from verses uh, uh, 5 to verse 6 and says and so it was that while they were there the days were accomplished that she should be delivered and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. You know, folks, there was no room for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Isn't that interesting? And as we think about and ponder that thought, as we ponder the thought of not having room for the Savior of the world, we have to go to ourselves in our own lives and ask ourselves, do we have room for Jesus Christ? Listen, folks, we're all busy. 
We're all busy. I, was, I left my house at 8 o'clock yesterday morning. I went back home for just a little bit in the middle of the day, and then I was back here to the church. I was at the church three different times yesterday getting ready for the Christmas party night. I finally got home about 9.15 last night after leaving at 8 in the morning. I went to Walmart, oh, my lands, I think three times, uh, trying to get stuff that we needed. I mean, just, it was, it, I'm busy, and I know you guys are busy too. And, but in that busyness, we often fall into a rut. We sleep, we get up, we eat, we go to work, we eat, we go back to sleep. I mean, that's the rut we get in, right? It's just day after day, just grinding it out. I do this, I do this, I do this, I go back to bed, I get up, and I do it all over again. But in the middle of all that, folks, we've got to ask ourselves, is there room in my life for Jesus Christ? You realize, folks, out of all the hours in a year, if you come to church on Sunday morning just for the main service and never come to church any other time, you're giving Jesus 52 hours a year out of all the hours in a year. You realize that, right? We have church service from 11 to 12. So, so you're, you're saying, I've got 52 hours for Jesus Christ in my week uh, throughout the year, one, one hour a week, and that's all I got. That's what we're doing, folks, uh, if we don't spend more time with Jesus Christ. And so we have to ask ourselves, do I have room? You know, there's an old uh, hymn that we sing, uh, Room for Jesus, King of Glory, Hasten Now as Word Obey. We sing that at, at, at you know, a lot of times in the invitation. Uh, but the other day, and Brother Brett, you can get that video ready. The other day, I found a, a new version of a song about room for Jesus. And it, I, I just, I sat in my office, and it just really, it really spoke to my heart. And so, um, I'm, is there a problem, Brother Brett? Oh, sorry. I'll do that. Sorry about that. And uh, the song really spoke to my heart, thinking about, you know, in my life, do I have room for Jesus in my life? For Jesus, my Savior, do I have room for him? You know, I often think about if, if, if we were faced with some dreaded disease on this earth um, and somebody had the cure and they brought us the cure and we survived that dreaded disease, maybe we were close to death and we survived that dreaded disease, wouldn't we feel like we owed them everything? We owed them our life. But folks, Jesus Christ not only brought the cure to the disease of sin, he gave his life for that cure. Do we have room for him today, Brother Brett?
question, do we have room for the Savior in our lives? Do we make time for him, the one who came, as the, as the video said, to rescue you and me? Do we make room for him in our lives? That's a question each one of us has to ask. In Zechariah 9, verses 9 and 10, we read this in the, that passage, Zechariah 9, verses 9 and 10. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. What I want to key in on that verse is this phrase, he is just and having salvation. You know, today, folks, what I want us to think about in this, in this passage today as we enter the Christmas season, I want us to think about Jesus Christ, our Savior. Jesus Christ, our Savior. Zechariah's readers are exhorted to rejoice greatly. Why? Because the King of kings and Lord of lords has come. He is just. Jesus Christ is a righteous ruler, but he has salvation. Jesus Christ is the Savior of this world. Of this verse, particularly verse 10, uh, Matthew Henry states this. He says, the king has and will have a kingdom, not of this world, but a spiritual kingdom, a kingdom of heaven. It shall not be set up and advanced by external force, but by an arm of flesh 
or by an arm of flesh or carnal weapons of warfare. Jesus Christ is coming to establish his kingdom, folks. And that's what we need to understand. He is the Savior. And so now I want us to turn back to Luke chapter 1. Because if we lead into the passage in Luke 2 where Jesus Christ is born, I want us to get some of the backstory that takes place in Luke chapter 1 starting in verse 5. And we're going to read a fairly lengthy passage of Scripture here, but I think it's important to get the whole context of what's going on. It says, There was in the days of Herod the king of Judea a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abia, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. And they had no child because that Elizabeth was barren, and they both were now well stricken in years. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in, in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel of the Lord said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God, and he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zacharias said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife well stricken in years. And the angel answering said to him, I am Gabriel, that stand in the presence of God, and am, to, and am sent to speak unto thee, and to show thee these glad tidings. Behold, thou shalt be dumb, and not able to speak, until the day that these things shall be performed, because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. And the people waited for Zacharias, and marveled that he tarried so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak unto them, and they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he beckoned unto them and remained speechless. Now, jump over from that passage, jump over to verse uh, 57 in that same chapter. It says, Now Elizabeth's full time was come that she should be delivered, and she brought forth a son, and her neighbors and her cousins heard how the Lord had showed great mercy upon her, and they rejoiced with her. And it came to pass on the eighth day they came to, the, to circumcise the child, and they called him Zacharias after the name of his father. And the mother answered and said, Not so, but he shall be called John. And they said unto her, There is none of thy kindred that is called by this name. And they made signs to his father how he would have him called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, saying, His name is John. And they marveled all. And his mouth was opened immediately and his tongue loosed, and he spake and praised God. Now, what I want us to see in this story, and we, we know the story of John the Baptist and what happened with his dad, and, but now once his voice is loosed again, we get the critical aspect to this story. So he, he, he says that his name is John. They marvel that his mouth is open. Finally, it hasn't been open for a while, and then he proceeds to speak. And it says, And fear came upon all that dwelt round about them, and all these sayings were noised abroad throughout all the hill country of Judea. 
And all they that heard them laid them in their hearts, saying, What manner of child shall this be? And the hand of the Lord was upon him. And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people. Now, that's going to come into play next week when we talk about Jesus Christ, or two weeks from now, when we talk about Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. And hath raised up an horn of salvation. That's what we're talking about today, Jesus Christ, our Savior, in the house of his servant David. And he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he sware to our father Abraham, that he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And then he, speak, speaking to John, who's a baby, says, And thou, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace. You know, it's amazing the, the, the miracle that took place. I mean, first we have Joseph making sure he was in Bethlehem so that Jesus would be born there. Then we have the virgin conceiving, bearing a son. That comes in Luke 2. We weren't there yet in this histor historical passage. But now we see John the Baptist's dad who, who is made so he cannot speak. And then when his mouth is opened, after he does what the angel told him, names the son John, which everybody was astonished at, his mouth is opened. And what does he do? He talks about the salvation of God coming through Jesus Christ. And he said, he told his baby son, you're, you're going to be the forerunner. You're going to be the person that's going to go out here and announce that light has come to the world. That's what John's job was. That, that's why John existed. He was born with a purpose. And that purpose was to bring the, the message of the light of our salvation. And that's what John's purpose was. You know, at Christmas time, we, we sing so many songs but probably one of the most famous Christmas songs we ever sing, folks, is really not a, it's not a Christmas song. It really isn't. We sing it as a Christmas song because of the first verse of the song, but it's really not a Christmas song. Isaac Watts was born in 1674, and he penned the words to this song after studying Psalm 98. And some many years later, in 1839, Lowell Mason set Watts' words to music. There was a gap of almost 150 years between the time that Watts wrote the words and Lowell penned the music to go with the words. And it was based on Psalm 98. So let's just flip over to Psalm 98 just for a second because, because there's something critical I want us to see before I, I read the words to this song. Psalm 98, Psalm 98 says this, it says, Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song, for he hath done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have gotten him the victory. And then I want us to notice what verse 2 says. The Lord hath made known his salvation. The Lord hath made known his salvation. His righteousness hath he openly showed in the sight of the heathen. He hath remembered his mercy 
and his truth toward the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. There we see that phrase again. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all the earth. Make a loud noise and rejoice and sing praise. Sing unto the Lord with harp, with the harp and the voice of psalm. With trumpets and sound of cornet, make a joyful noise before the Lord, the King. Let the sea roar and the fullness thereof of the world, and they that dwell therein. Let the floods clap uh, their hands. Let the hills be together, joy, joyful together before the Lord. For he cometh to judge the earth, which with righteousness shall he judge the world and the people with equity. That psalm twice in it mentions the salvation of our Lord. And it shows us not only people giving praise to God, but creation giving praise to God. And from that passage, 150 years apart, two men wrote probably the most familiar song we sing at Christmas. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ, while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. Folks, that song is really not a Christmas song, but the first verse, joy to the world, the Lord has come, makes us think immediately to Jesus Christ in the manger. And the thing that makes it so special, folks, so important, so critical for us is that Jesus Christ came as the Savior of the world. And, and, you know, it would be absolutely abysmal of us if we didn't recognize that at Christmas time. That Jesus Christ didn't come. It's not just a cute story of a babe being born in a manger because there's no place else for him to go. It was the story of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords stepping foot onto this earth to bring salvation to you and to me. That's what it's all about. Titus chapter 2. Let's flip over there for a second. Titus chapter 2. And uh, starting in verse 3. It says, The age woman likewise that they be in behavior... Uh, has become a, no, that is not the right passage. Sorry, I wrote that wrong. No, I'm sorry, that's the wrong passage. Okay, well, let's look over, let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Let's try that. 2 Timothy chapter 2, I think, is where we're supposed to be. Uh, starting in verse 8. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 8 says, Remember that Jesus Christ, there we go, of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, wherein I suffer uh, trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain, what? The salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. It is faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. What, is, what does Paul say as he's talking to Timothy here? He says, listen, he says, the gospel of Jesus Christ is what has put me in bonds. But he says, notice what he says, therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake that they may also obtain what? The salvation which is in Christ Jesus. 
See, folks, as we go into the Christmas season, we enter this time of year, and, and, and we begin all the celebrations and all the fun. And listen, Christmas is a great time. Uh, it's a wonderful time. It's a great time with family, friends, decorations, presents, food. We enjoy it all. But we have to remember that there was a reason for this season. And the reason is that Jesus Christ stepped foot out of eternity and onto this earth to be our Savior. Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. And Lord, we just thank you for this time together. And as Lord, as we look forward to the Christmas season, I pray that we would always remember that you are the Savior of the world. And Lord, may we always be reminded during this time of year that it's not just a story about a baby in a manger, but it is a story about the King of kings and Lord of lords stepping out of eternity on our behalf. And Lord, now as we enter a time of invitation, Lord, we just pray that you would bless the remainder of the minutes of our time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand with our heads bowed and eyes closed. I'm going to ask Elizabeth just to play on the piano this morning. Maybe the Lord spoke to your heart. Maybe you just, it's time to refocus on what this season is about. Sometimes we get so wrapped up in all the other aspects of it, the food and the lights and the gifts and the whatever, the fellowships, whatever. Nothing wrong with any of those things, folks. But maybe we just need to get our focus on Jesus Christ. So we wait just a minute this morning.